Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Return to the Realm, a reader's podcast for the Realm of the Elderling series by Robin Hobb. I'm Caillou, joined by Alex and Leah, and we're on our second episode of Ship of Destiny. And uh, even though you guys won't get to see it, we're now back on schedule to mostly live uploads. So, yeah. Uh, so today we're going to be covering chapters 5 through 9 of Ship of Destiny. And standard disclaimer, this is a rereader's podcast, so... Um, so we'll cover spoilers for all 16 books in the Realm of the Elderling series, not just this trilogy, and not just up to this point. So if you haven't read all of the books, uh, this is your cue to tap out. Otherwise, we're glad to have you. Hey, we were actually just talking about this. If you haven't read all of the books, feel free to check out our not-so-live not so shows or live shows, which are spoiler-free for past that point in the series. Um, getting into it. The first chapter we have here is Chapter 5, Paragon and Piracy. Um, we're back on board Paragon, uh, who sort of, it's sort of like, almost like they're hitting the Bermuda Triangle in terms of like, oh man, stuff is getting serious now. They're heading towards pirate-infested waters, there's tension on the ship because of like, drills. Um, Paragon is in a weirdly prophetic mood. Um... We get most of the chapter from, like, Altia's perspective, and then she is, is conflicted for a variety of reasons, but there's, like, this, it's like, I don't know how to feel about Brashen, I don't know how to feel about what's going to happen when we get to Vivacia. Like, lots of, cons lots of building tension in the way that Hob loves to do in third books and series. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, it's been a very long time since I read this, so I'm having trouble remembering exactly. This is like the chapter where um, Amber and Lavoie are like butting heads and Althea doesn't want to leave them on the deck together, right? Yeah, I, I think that this yeah. chapter ends with that. Because the, the next chapter we're on, we see on Paragon, like, Amber's like knocked the fuck out on the, on the deck and Althea's like, what happened? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I figured because both Alex and I have a note that's just fuck Lavoie and basically nothing else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he's the worst. And he just gets yeah. worse. He's awful. I hate him. And, I, like, I have this in my note for um, the last chapter, but, like, their whole thing about, like, oh, we can't do anything about Lavoie being a piece of shit because we're on a boat. I'm like... Rules are made up. All rules are made up. You can actually do whatever you want. Like, it's, oh, it's <laughs> so annoying. I'm like, this situation's way worse by you guys not doing anything because you're like, we can't, we're on a boat. We have to follow the boat rules. I, was I can about see that. it from their points of view, but at the same time, like, he is getting so much more dangerous as they let him slide with so many yeah. more things. Like, they need to act now or throw him overboard. Yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking about Lavoie, and I was like, obviously, really infuriating and annoying. But like, thinking about on the context of what's happening, it made me think about how like I feel like Lavoie is almost like parallel to Brashen in the sense of like he's everything that Brashen could have been if he wasn't if he wasn't a better person, basically, right? Because he some he's a person with a checkered past who's trying to. Uh, who has ambition and is trying to go for a leadership role, sort of at the start seems to have 
he's gruff but seems to have good intention good intentions in terms of like bettering himself but then he, once he actually has a taste of power he completely abuses it unlike brashin in fact i almost feel like brashin's thing is the opposite in this section right like he's really good as a captain but in this section we see that he's sort of feels trapped by the role and he isn't at the he hasn't had been a leader long enough to know that like when you're the leader like you said like you make the rules so you can just be like yes yeah, screw you i don't i'm not like i'm the captain so sucks to suck yep. instead of i'm the captain oh it sucks to be me i have to woe is me i have to hide my feelings all the time and it's like no not really i feel like that's just Brashen's excuse so that he doesn't have to like admit his feelings to Althea and get rejected, because I feel like that's what he's afraid of. Yes. A little bit, but I also think he like, from the way he describes it in the, in the last chapter in the section, he genuinely has, like, this vision of Captain being someone who is, like, stoic. And because he, he thinks about Althea, but he also thinks about, I want to go talk to Paragon, I want to go talk to Amber, mm-hmm. and he says, I, ca- I can't do any of these things. So it's not, it's not just... It was just him being like, "Oh, I don't, I don't know if about Althea." Then I could see that, but I think he, I think that like that's th- that's part of it. But it, I think he genuinely feels trapped by Captain. Where do you think he learned this? He didn't like. I don't think Efren was that much detached from like his crew. I feel like Efren's yes, the opposite. Yes, he like, like, he has like not life of the party, but he was like he he really seemed like straight shooter right i feel like he knew all of his crew on a personal level and that's part of the reason why they like respected him so much because he was like such a genuine like down-to-earth captain and i don't know why brashen isn't trying to do that a little bit more but maybe it's because like he has worked on these really shitty ships before and knows how dangerous it can be if like the crew doesn't respect the captain or doesn't like listen to the captain and he's more scared of that because he's got like a hodgepodge crew rather than like a curated crew that Efren had. Yeah that was my thought as well. That's just sort of like it's like I, I, I have to be like a point of point of respect and a point of stability because otherwise things will fall apart but also like stability isn't doing nothing stability is writing yourself if you start to like list over to one side Speaking of Brashen, uh, while we're on Brashen and Althea, while we're on the topic there's like a long section here where like Jack, where Jack is like talking about Brashen and Althea is like, don't talk about him that way. Not my man. <laughs> it, it's so fun. I love Jack. I'm so sad we only get like little bits of her, but I was, I was rereading the part in Tawny Man where she just like shows up unannounced. I like, I love the descriptions of her because it fits like she's sort of like an amused cat who's just sort of like, Lazily teasing him, and then when Lord Golden comes in, he's like, uh, "Lord Golden, like, closed the door, like he was afraid that Jack was like a puppy who would rush out into the corridor." And I just, I love all these descriptions of her, but she's also just like 
this buff motherfucker who doesn't take shit. It's great. I like it when she scolds Fitz for not, like, realizing that the fool is, like, in love with him, basically. She's like, (laughs) you're you're stupid, and you're lucky that you're handsome. Or she says something along those lines. (laughs) Basically, yes. Yeah. He's like, man, if it was raining soup, you'd be out there with a fork. And that, <laughs> that shit stuck with me. Poor Fitz. He would. Speaking of Fitz, there's one part where um, Althea is, like, musing on Paragon. And she says, it could not be good for a man or a live ship to ponder endlessly endlessly on the nature of himself. And I'm like, that's literally what Fitz does his whole life. He's just pondering endlessly on the nature of himself. Yeah. And then Paragon gets Fitz's face. They're the same. Yeah, really appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> One of the quotes I had from Paragon makes him sound like Night Eyes. Because he's talking to Althea, and Althea's, like, stressed about how, like, the drills aren't going to work when it comes to real combat and all that stuff. And then, like, what are they going to do when they get to Kennet? And Paragon was like, long or short, if you worry about every step of a journey, you will divide it endlessly into pieces, any of which may defeat you. And I'm like, that sounds very much like something Night Eyes would say. Yeah, it sounds like him talking about, like, wasn't there a a line where he says something about... Instead of just eating the rabbit, you, like, cut it up into tiny pieces. Yeah. That's what that reminds me of. Yeah, because I think that's how, like, I think he was talking about time in there. But, like, Mm -hmm. the journey is the same thing. Like, you're worrying about stuff that's in the future that has not happened and may not happen anyways. Maybe just try and calm it down. It reminded me of Night Eyes talking about, like, the stone game. Like, he's always, like, you're... You're thinking about, like, one move ahead. Think about the big picture of the strategy. hmm I think one thing that I really like about this chapter is sort of... Lots of it is centering on this discussion... Between Brash and Amber and Altia about like their ability or capacity to fight. I like that because I feel like in most fantasy series, by this point in the not in like the series, there would be an assumption of competency, right? Like they're just sort of be like, yeah, they know how to fight. Like they've it's it's the last book of the trilogy. They're going to have to fight, therefore they know how to fight. But like mm-hmm. taking the time for Brashen to be like. We don't know shit. We're not, like, we, ha- we haven't lived a life of hardship. It's like, I like it. it. I feel like Hobb has, like, a good sense of, like, how to introduce conflict or complications without it feeling contrived. If that makes sense. I really like that about this chapter, yeah. I... Do like later on how when the pirates are boarding Paragon, it just turns into a brawl because that's how everyone knows how to fight. So instead of having it be like 
them using their swords competently and stuff. It's just them like throwing hands around because that's what they're used to and comfortable with. Lop like whacking everyone with the giant like pole or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and almost <laughs> killing Amber. And actually, I remember like there's a line where it's like, yeah, Lop doesn't mess around with that pole, and like he just like kills someone. He like brains someone. It was the guy that Althea told him to like subdue. He whacked him so hard that I think he had like a seizure and just died on the ship. <laughs> like, geez. yeah. He's like, like um. He's like that character from Of Mice and Men, Lenny, that, like, yeah. doesn't know his own strength and just accidentally kills stuff. Mm-hmm. No wonder LaVoy doesn't trust a- him with a sharp object. Jesus. Yeah. kind of wish Lop talked to Paragon, because I, I didn't, until you mentioned Lenny, I didn't really, like, think about the comparison, but, like, Paragon is also sort of, like, this like figure trapped in a body who like is only sometimes aware of the limits of his own strength like sometimes he's really aware of it and he's like i could crush y'all but sometimes he's like he just like genuinely does not know what he's capable of so mm-hmm. basically i mean anyone other than lavoy would have been nice but i think that other than our main characters i think lop would be a cool person for paragon to interact with yeah I think my other notes are sort of just like little details here and there. Um, when they're talking about like pretending to be pirates, Brashen is thinking about like what flag or emblem they could have. And he's like, he says something about like a serpent or like a, a lunging serpent. And he says, it's a scariest emblem I could think of straight from my worst nightmares. And usually when like you're ta- when characters talk about like worst nightmares like those kind of phrases right it's just like metaphorical but we know from the first book that that, that's actually like a nightmare that brashen has because there's Mm -hmm. a time that he was on when he was younger on that ship and the serpent uh, was coming for him so that that was neat i feel like i totally forgot about that i feel like hob does a really good job of like making things that could be throwaway phrases into like actual callbacks Mm -hmm. definitely that's yeah, why we have nothing wrong with being thrown phrases, but like it's nice that she takes the effort. <laughs> I was thinking about this, and I was wondering how much of Hobbes' writing with the very subtle things is intentional, and how much of it just happened naturally and like intuitively. Because I feel like it must be so exhausting if you have to remember and keep track of all of this stuff to yeah. like tie it back in in such small ways or if she just kind of like writes and then it just like the characters are already kind of fully formed inside her and she doesn't have to do much i think she puts a bit of effort into it because recently she tweeted that she made a chronological error in something she wrote and she was like i have to tear the whole thing apart and then reconstruct it and she was like but i think i'm just going to watch tv instead of something i mean that sounds like a good trade-off yeah i'm gonna see if i can find it It, i was like not everybody or other people make those mistakes too i feel like it's nice having an author who's like upfront with stuff like that because Mm -hmm. It makes you feel like 
your first draft and all that stuff doesn't have to be perfect because if they are making errors in their writing, then it's okay for like the little people to make errors in theirs too. Right. Yeah. I remember reading something from like Preordin recently about that. And I was like, talking about like the stuff that he's learned over the course of like writing Percy Jackson in the series and like stuff he would do differently. And I'm like, that's neat. I love those books, but it's like neat to like have that kind of reflection. Also, how how recent was this Hob tweet? It was like I saw it recently, but now I'm trying to find it and I can't find it. Because I was thinking, I, I I didn't know if she, I didn't know that she was writing something like. Because I thought she was like thinking like, she was like working on something and then she stopped working on it over like the pandemic or something. But like, if she's writing actively now, I'm excited. She, I believe she is. I thought that she was, like, more writing as Megan Lindholm than Robin Hobb. Because I knew that she had, like, Robin Hobb stuff on the back burner, but I didn't think that she was, like, focusing on it right now. It didn't say anything about, like, what the project is. It it's just said... You kind of have to hope that it's, like, for I have up, made a, right? Yeah, it said, I have made a chronological error, and that's all it said. Um... Yeah, I can't find it now, so I wonder if she, like, deleted it. <clears throat> Too much speculation underneath. Yeah. I feel like, honestly, if Robin Hobb doesn't write a single word more and, like, publish anything else in the realm of the Elderlings, like, I will be satisfied. Because it is perfect and, like, finished. And there's a his. lot of content. Yeah, like, it's, like, finished in my eyes, so it doesn't have, like, I feel like anything else would be, like, icing on the cake. side things. Yeah, it's not, like, the full thing, because Realm of the Elderlings is Fitz's story. Like, I feel I, like it's Fitz. I know that um, some people want a B story, but I think I've said this before, but, like, I don't want her to write a B story, because I'm afraid what she'll do to B. B's been through enough as it is. Can we just get, like, a patience chivalry romance? Because that's what I want. (laughs) I want a patience chivalry romance. I want something where the satrap dies. Um, I want patience chivalry Burrick's love triangle romance. But it's, they become a thruple instead of it being (laughs) a love triangle. Because definitely Burrick is in love with chivalry. We're back on this. We need to write our own fanfiction. <laughs> I will okay. die on this hill. The first time in like 10 years I'm actually doing like actual writing and it's fanfiction. So I may, after I'm done with that project, I may try to do like a Realm of the Elderings thing for realsies. I hope yes, that you please. I definitely will. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's interesting because like so many times at the end of of trilogies i felt like dissatisfied or like i want more but she really came out with the final series and i was like okay yeah you know that makes sense like fine it fine because it never really felt like an ending to his story until then because fritz was still alive <laughs> okay well not just that but I, okay at the end of the first trilogy i'm like what the fuck he's depressed and living in the woods you can't do this to my boy and then at the end of the second yeah. trilogy i'm like i know you didn't just like like okay molly's nice and all but i know you didn't really just be like the dead i'll see you like never and instead i'm getting back with molly like i know you did not just do that hob yeah um 
and I honestly it, wish that the last trilogy hadn't happened because it's like so much hurt for them, but also mm-hmm. it makes sense as an ending. Yeah. Yeah, the last trilogy is like hard to read because what happens to the fool is so horrible. Oh my god, I and know. What happens to B is so horrible. And Fitz honestly sometimes frustrates me because, like, Farseer trilogy Fitz would, n- there's no way that the people that stole B would have been able to leave the six duchies. He'd have been on their asses. And in the last trilogy, he's just like, I'll go to Buckkeep and practice doing sword stuff. And then I'll chase after B. And it annoys me. Like, I know they explain it and he has reasons that are logical, but I'm used to the Fitz that just runs off half-cocked and, and gets shit done. Well, Fitz hasn't been an assassin or a teenager in, like, decades. <laughs> so it makes sense that he would be so rusty and, like stress and i feel like it's easy to go out and just like go gung-ho about something when you really don't have too many people relying on you and when it's like you're doing it for someone who's not so so close to you when it's like your own kid i feel like it's very different and like fitz probably can't even think correctly to try and find b it reminds me of like, uh, in like a the last book of the Tawny Man trilogy, when Fitz when Fitz is like just gets ejected from the Pale Woman's place and he's like, we need to kill the dragon now. We need to kill the dragon now. Burrich, I know here, but we need to kill the dragon so we can save the fool. Otherwise, she's gonna kill the fool. And like, yeah, he, Fitz gets stir crazy with these kind of things. So I guess yeah, the last trilogy is a little. Up, he's matured, but also it's it's nice to see him be insane over the people he loves. <laughs> Anyways, okay, we've gotten our mandatory talking about another series out of the way. Yes. The, for this say chapter. out of the way, yeah, for, for this, this chapter. chapter. Yeah. Um, Bringing it back to the fool and amber i think that amber should worry less now about whether or not she made the right decision going with althea and brashen on the ship instead of like staying in bangtown or like looking for wintrow because she's going through one of her like changes as a white prophet so that should have been enough kind of like sign that amber's on the right path right i would think she learns about that until she talks to Pearl Cop, right? She doesn't, like, learn about the significance of oh. changes. From what I remember, mm-hmm. she's just like, yeah, this is just a thing that my species does. And Pearl Cop is like, yeah, actually, it's a thing that our species does, but, like, it happens as we fulfill our purpose more and more. Well, I hope that Amber worries a little bit less, even if she doesn't know what the hell is going on with herself. Mm-hmm. I think I think sometimes Amber it's it's for someone who's very much like I'll go where the flow of fate takes me. She Amber more so than the fool worries a lot about things happening the right way, I think. She like she's yeah. it's it almost wonder if she's like 
honestly think that like what happened to Fitz is probably like weighing on her and she's sort of like seated but like I want to do it right this time and so she's like mm-hmm. she like takes a more active role and that ironically ends up like zigzag past what she needs to do Talking about Amber, there's a line where Althea is talking about her, and she's like, With a sinking heart, Althea wished that Amber were not so proud. She would just lower her head a bit to the first mate, Lavoie would be content. It's sort of like, No, he really wouldn't. And I think that Althea just, I think this is sort of the thing that, like, Althea and Brashen and everyone who are Bingtown sailors don't get is that it's the it's coming back to what we we're talking about at the start of the chapter with the idea of like rules and stuff like are made up and the people who realize that they're made up will just simply not care about them so like lavoy if you like try to like play within like cities and in diplomacy he'll just be he'll just take what he can it's it's all bullies will do that right like they'll give them an inch yeah. and they'll take a mile i also think it's sort of like altia is always so like there's another time where she's like it wasn't fair. Jack had grown up in the six duchies and claimed this equality as her birthright. I sometimes felt she needed someone's permission to simply be herself. It's sort of like, right. And I, it's difficult, but like, you gotta like, you gotta stand up for yourself and like, and like, have that, like, and you gotta have that, pro- like, it's like, I feel like Althea is like, she, she'll like, learn that as the story goes on, but she like, needs to like, learn from Jack and Amber and all those people to like, like, be proud of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and as Pardon, much she as also she, doesn't feel confident yet, but yeah. Well, and as much as she like resents and complains about the way that like town society treat women, she projects that onto herself even because she's like, "Well, I couldn't be that way because I was born a woman in Bingtown." It's like you absolutely could just act the same way as Jack. The only thing that's preventing you from doing that is yourself. Especially yep. here, where it's like, who is who is the representative of Bingtown who is going to judge you other than yourself? Literally, no one. Right. Brashen doesn't care. The people yep. who actually are, who are hired from Bingtown care. They hate Bingtown society probably because they're like society or whatever. So like, yep, the chance to reinvent yourself. Like, Brashen's taking it. Paragon's taking it. Everyone's taking it except you. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not blaming her completely for it, right? Like, there's there's so much shit that's been, like, put on her. But, like, yeah. On that, uh, on that note, I think that's a great point to end on in moving to the next chapter titled An Independent Woman. Um, so chapter 6, An Independent Woman, we follow, there's, like, sort of dual point of view between Cyrilla and Ronica. Cyrilla is not getting much better. She's sort of like spiraling into, I really want to control Bingtown. I feel like cheated of it. Um, and Ronica tries to give her like a wake up call, as in like, you need to change your perspective on things. Um, a, especially as to like what you are owed and how you let 
trauma and stuff shape you. And part of it, some of it, Ronica's not really being fair. Some of it, Ronica's giving her a reality check. But um, the the scene, like after that confrontation, the scene moves on to like there's like a traders meeting, at which Cirilla sort of like tries to seize power, but things don't go as planned, and the Bingtown traders come together and start to work as a unit again. Great for Bingtown. Not a, not a great victory for Cirilla. And so she's sort of doubling down on her grasp her power. Yeah. I am so frustrated with Cirilla, just like in general, because she makes all of the wrong decisions, she makes all of the wrong allegiances, and if she would have just listened to Ronica and like what she perceives as Ronica's like nagging, she would have become a good leader. And she could have become even a great leader at that point if she had just taken Ronica's advice. But instead she views Ronica as like a threat to her power. And I wonder if that's because like Ronica's a woman and she's so confident like in at in like her place in society and in like Bingtown as a traitor, if that like makes her a threat and that's why she can't like like anything Ronica says, Cirilla has to just ignore it. Yeah. She sort of mentions that like semi explicitly at one or two points. Yeah. I think also Cirilla is just trying to figure out like who she can manipulate to be on her side and who she can't. And Ronica is just someone that she can't manipulate. And if she can't, they're immediately an enemy. And she won't even like consider them to be anything else. But I do wonder if she was like in her right mind, if the things Ronica's saying and the like qu questions Ronica asks would make sense to her, or if it's just because she's like so she's kind of like losing it. If that's why she's so resistant, because Ronica like is making a lot of good points and is being very logical. And Cirilla just is not capable of, like, thinking a rational thought at this she's moment. Like, she's in fight or flight mode, like, and she just can't engage with it. Yes. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking. Because if if she was in her right mind and wasn't thinking of, like, how to be the satrap, she, I think, would have teamed up with Ronica, and they would have been an incredible team. And it's just, like, disappointing that... She can't see that. Because even Ronica says, like, she would love to be able to, like, approach Cirilla as, like, an ally. Mm -hmm. And, like, she doesn't have that chance because, she, like, Cirilla makes it all about, like, competition. And if yeah. Ronica has power, then it's taking away from Cirilla's instead of, like, them combining it and, like, sharing it together. Mm-hmm. I also think calling, saying that Cirilla wants to be the satrap is, like, a really good call. And it's something I think Cirilla herself would hate, obviously, as, like, a comparison. But it, I wrote, like, a similar thing at, like, the start of the chapter, where Cirilla's, like, she's walking through, like, the destroyed thing of Bingtown, right? And she's, like, her thing isn't, like, empathy for the people. She's, like, was cheated of a place I was promised by this destruction. And she calls, like, Bingtown a bobble. Like, that is such a, like, satrap way of looking at it. Yeah. Well, and even the way that she's daydreaming, 
about what would happen when she's like taking the carriage ride. She's like, oh, I would like get out and praise them for being so hardworking and like pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. And they would invite me in and we would have tea and then they would love me. And like, she's not thinking at all about the people. And when Ronica, like you see the such a stark difference when like Ronica is going through there and seeing like how much destruction there was and how like the people aren't working together and that they could get so much more done if they had worked together and like, like viewed each other as neighbors instead of as threats to like their own property. Right. This chapter made me, like, it put in perspective for me how much Ronica has grown as a character. There's a part where she says, If we focus on trying to go back to what Bingtown was, we're doomed to defeat. We must go forward to create a new Bingtown. And first book, Ronica would never have said that. She was so obsessed with appearances and with keeping up tradition and never changing anything. Like, she'd be like, but that's always the way we've done it. Like, she would not think outside of that box at all. Which is why she wouldn't give the ship to Althea. Like, that's the whole reason. So, that line really struck me. Because, like, she actually ruins all of their lives because she's so stuck on tradition and refuses to, like consider anything new and then here she's like we have to build a new Bingtown we can't go back to what we were before because it didn't work and the wildest thing is she's thinking about like uniting with even the new traders too like not just the three ships Mm -hmm. people but also like integrating the new traders as long as they're willing to like abide by Bingtown's laws of like no slavery and stuff she would like welcome them in and I feel like that's not at all something she would have done in the past Right. Because of, like, the charters and, like, the land being owed to the people who, like, suffered the most. Right. Another thing about, like, Ronica changing is that I think it's really hilarious how, like, blunt she is. Because she used to care so much about propriety and, like, talking with Cyril and everyone. She's just, like... And I think... Honestly, she... I think it's a little bit extreme, especially when talking with Cyril. Like, I think... It, the way how blunt she is could like gotten her killed in a few situations but honestly yeah. i kind of don't mind because it's so nice to see like monica actually speaking her mind and not being like oh what will what will people think of us if we say this it's like who fucking cares right she's acting like malta now yeah yeah a little bit yeah i love it Especially the way that Malta acts with the Satrap. Like, it seems like all the people from Jamilia get treated the same way by all the different best right women. Mm-hmm. Following the train of thought, it's really funny. Because um, I feel like in Tawny Man, it's the opposite, where Jack, who is sort of like... Talking to Fitz that way, like... Open your eyes, dude. Like, come on. Then Fitz is like, maybe you've just spent too long in Jamila, like, to free love or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going back to Ronica, she has grown and changed and evolved so much, but I am so frustrated that she is still, like, making excuses for Devad and, like, acting like he's not a traitor even after his death and like 
how much he was affiliated with the slave trade. Like, I don't know why she's still so dead set on, like, I have to, like, avenge him and, yeah. like, clear his name. I agree. That's actually one of my notes for, I think, this chap. Yeah, this chapter is, I was like, I don't understand why the fuck she's so hung up on Devad's death. Like, in the grand scheme of what's going on in Bingtown right now, there are a lot more important things to do. Like, banding together and rebuilding the town and figuring out what you're going to do about, like, the... Chalcidian war galleys in the bay and she's just like we need the council to spend time talking about Devad's death like it's I don't know I just think it's um. like, not important when they're trying to like figure out their future and restore their town and a shit ton of other people died well I understand her wanting to like because she's like like reliving the past and like living in nostalgia because that's all she has right now but that's no like she had so many other points that she could have brought up in like uniting bangtown at the like traders meeting and instead she brought up devad like why don't we focus on to, to althea honestly when althea is like we need to go save my family's life ship and it's like why did you have to choose the point that's closest to and most personal to you that's not the great strategy yeah. Yeah, I think I'm. On one hand, okay, I I think Monica is attachment to Devad, understandable, but also really stupid, and also like Raish is right there. Like, why do you still yeah. like? It's it's. I, I get that he's a longtime friend, but like you have you've had time to process and let go, let go. Um. On the other hand, though, I kind of get what the point is politically, right? Because the idea is, like, Cyrilla and her group have branded Devad as, like, the sole, as, like, a traitor and, like, a go-between or whatever. But I think the idea is if, like, they find out that he wasn't a traitor or collaborator or whatever, it sort of reveals that maybe Cyrilla's claim to speak on the authority of the satrap is not there. There's, like... And that it gives, like, Bingtown less reason to sort of trust Cirilla's coalition, I think, is the idea. Again, I think it's an entirely vested approach to it, where it's like, I'm going to take the thing that matters most to me and use that as the focal point for everything. It also, like, there is one point she makes that they're, by calling him a traitor when everyone knows that the Vestrits are friends with him... That's like casting doubt and therefore putting danger on being a vestrit. So there is an, an element of like, we need to clear our own names. And by clearing his name, that will clear our names. But I don't know, it just seems silly for her to be so aggressive about it when there's very much bigger problems. But you're totally right in that that's a very vestrit approach. I think also there's a problem with her thinking that clearing Devad's name is going to clear the Vestrite name because, like, her family ship was also a slaver. So yeah. in everyone's eyes, she's already associated with the new traders regardless of if it's through Devad or through her own self. 
Like she thinks at the last, she is like saying at the end in her head, she's like, it might not be of her own doing, but her own family ship had gone as a slaver. But it's only her doing that the ship is a slaver. If she wasn't the one who gave the ship to Kyle, it would have never become a slaver. If she would have just let Althea inherit the ship like she was meant to, none of this would have happened. And she would be fine. It pissed me off that she's, like, shirking the responsibility. Like, it's your fault. Lately, yeah. And, like, I would have been annoyed if she said, like, it's partially my responsibility. But, like, I would get it, right? Like, I could see how she's like, well, you know, Kyle did it. And maybe my, my daughter should have been more there. Even if it's wrong, right? I could get it. But her being like, yeah. well, it, I washed my hands of it is sort of like, come the fuck on, dog. <laughs> Like, come on. Right. Yeah, I didn't do anything but, like, vivacious a slaver, so I guess that. But, like, you're wrong. Right. You're wrong and you're stupid in this point. I <laughs> like how she's stupid. changing, but she's wrong. <laughs> Alex, like, we're, like, we're, we're talking about how Rocka's changing, and Alex is, like, burning up there, like, <laughs> we can't let go of this, though. Look. I like that she's changing, but she needs to reconcile the fact that she made some grave errors in the past and needs to no, fix that. Totally or at least admit to herself that it's her freaking fault. See, I kind of wish, like, Raish is, like, nice to Ronica. I kind of wish Raish was a little bit, like, Raish is kind of a hard ass at times, but I wish Raish was more of a hard ass towards Ronica. Like, give her some tough love. Her. Yeah, I think she should be more, like, straight up with Ronica. Because she knows all that happened, I think. Unless Ronica just kept it a secret from her. But I feel like that's kind of a hard thing to keep a secret from. Is, like, the fact that your family live ship became a slaver. And, like, Rach does have a moment of putting Ronica in her place. And Ronica does, like, admit it. And she becomes, like, ashamed and stuff. When she doesn't think of the, like, tattooed people or, like, the slaves as she thinks of them as, like, a group that could help unite Bingtown. And Rach is like, you're forgetting a whole group of people. And then Ronica realizes, oh, fuck, like, I screwed up. I'm not even thinking of them as people or something. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Rach should have more moments of that where Ronica has to face everything that she and her family has done. Speaking of the Vestrits and having weird-ass opinions about slaves, uh, this is a line I forgot from the last chapter, but uh, Althea, I think she's talking to Paragon, and she's like, sometimes it seems to me there's not much difference between being a sailor and being a slave. And I'm like, say, say what now? Hello? Yeah. Yeah. That was... Quite tone deaf. Um, talking about Raish, um, my favorite part of this chapter, uh, Raish is like talking about Amber and uniting the slaves, and uh, is basically like describing Amber and saying, Mom said she had been a slave herself once, despite the fact that she has no tattoos. She wears a freedom ring in one ear, you know, the earring that Chalcedian freed slaves must purchase and wear to prove that they have been granted their freedom. I asked her once if she had bought her freedom, or if it would belong to her mother. 
She's quiet for a time and then said it in a gift from her one true love. Ah! Ah! <laughs> I know, I love that. Yep. It's like, and honestly, I'm kind of surprised that, like, uh, our first time readers didn't catch that. But, like, but like I guess. Do they know I, I guess for you don't sure think that it's a ring. freedom ring? That Burridge has that yeah. he gets to Okay. Burridge exists. Because Fitz tells him the, the history of it, like he got it from his grandma or something. Yeah. Oh, right. Sometimes I forget um, like what book we find information out in. Yeah. I think another thing from that passage that should have definitely tipped them off, if not like almost spoiled it, is the fact that like Amber straight up says, I'm a prophet. I've been sent to save the world. Like, well, just they, let out. They like, have put out, put together the fact that Am, like, I think they think Amber is another prophet like the fool. They don't realize that they are the they same. They don't realize it's the same person. I wonder if they ever will, unless, it, like, until it's revealed to them. Jared was getting close at one point, and Julia put a heart stop <laughs> put on him it. Down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you're wrong. I have to like hide myself half the time when they're talking about the fool and Amber because I like will spoil it for sure just with my facial expressions. Yes, I think I'm glad that in the last live show we got all of that out with like the Paragon thing because when Amber and the fool came up, we were able to keep a straight face at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this should really be the, the tipping point, but m- maybe when Paragon gets Fitz's face, that'll be the thing. Because earring is a detail, but I think it's a detail we latch onto because we know how important it is to them. And like to them, it's just like, might have forgotten it by now. Yeah. There's one more thing from that section that I like pl- clung on to. It's Rach was talking about Amber still, and she said, some said she had been a slave herself once, despite the fact that she has no tattoos. But she has the biggest tattoo of all of them. They just don't know it or see it. And I feel like that could be, like, her slave tattoo, because Clarice was not a good place to her. Yeah. That's a good point. Like the, the explicit intention of the tattoo is to brand her as different and wrong and to control her because it has the same like burning thing. So, mm-hmm. honestly, all the shitty slave comparisons we've seen uh, all characters make throughout this book, I think that's the first winning one we have because it's actually <laughs> on point. Yeah. Yeah. I have like two last notes and one of them is something I probably should have just said at the start but it's like I forgot how over the top Cyrilla is because she still gets to be like the Bingtown ambassador in Tawny Man so oh, right. like that, that's just crazy to me that like after all of this they still let her be like the the main like contact point with the six duchies well, she kind of like, figures her head out right I think but also isn't that like not 
a great position anyways because they think of the six duchies as like this barbaric land so they're probably just sending her off on something that she thinks is this big mission and they're like yeah like it's really important like don't screw this up and then they're like behind their backs like oh yeah like she's gonna realize they don't even have like windows and shit like they're this backwards <laughs> country they, they give her like elderling gifts to give to the to the kingdom i think and then they're like yeah we need to bring dragons back to the world so we've come to talk to you about dragons and um what's his face is there too selden selden well, they brought Selden because Selden's the reliable one. I'm sure that Cirilla, like, gets her head. They do, like, they elect stuff. They elect people after. So, like, I think that she, like, integrated herself. But I'm annoyed with her right now, so I can't. Right. She figures her head out. I think what? that she does that, like, in this book. Like, I, see, I think we see some of her coming back to logic yeah, at the end, and What's like the admitting name of the, wrong the asshole traitor, Road Karen. Yeah, Road Karen. Oh yeah. I think like she. I think there's like a scene where she like finally like breaks ties with him and like asserts herself. That's like the moment. Yeah. I was gonna say something, but I can't remember now. Sorry. I don't know. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> Well, speaking of her, there is one more line that, like, pissed me off that she said. She's like, she represented the government of Bingtown. I'm like, girl, you don't represent anything right now. You are not the government of Bingtown. Are you actually kidding me? She is under government. Mm -hmm. Hate her at this point. And I know that, like, I shouldn't because she's been through a lot. But she's so fucking frustrating. I can't right now. There's yeah, a line you... that Veronica says that perfectly encapsulates this. Still, it was difficult to pity anyone so obsessed with obtaining and holding power for themselves. Yep. Yeah. That that's it. That's the tweet. That's Cirilla's character. Yeah. I'm glad that she like gets her head though. And becomes a real person in society, but Geez, can we speed it up a little bit, please? <laughs> yeah, like, She's... The, the parts that are of her point of view are, like, hard to read because it's, like, it's almost like the one page and a half that we get of, like, Regal's point of view where it's just completely unhinged. But with yeah. Cirilla, it's, like, whole chapters. And it's a lot. Yeah, that... I think that her point of view is very similar to Regal. And if we got more of Regal, like, they would have been almost the same. Just not, like, with, like, Cirilla doesn't have or ever could, I think, have, like, Regal's level of, like, like. Delusion? Horrible, terrible person. Oh, like, yeah, he, like, like he wanted to torture stuff. people. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that she would ever be like that. But the way that they think about the world around them and how, like, it's always everyone against them, like, that yes. is very much both of them. Like, that's definitely yep. their thinking. But Cirilla has slightly more of a reason. Regal yeah. has, like, oh, yeah. no reason to think that way. Regal's only reason to think that way is because his mom told him so. Right. His mom told like I think it's 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 definitely hard to like 
Like, Regal could have, but I think that, like, his whole, like, childhood, his mother has been, like, whispering in his ear, being like, you have to... Everyone hates you, you're alone, I'm the only, I'm your only one who cares about you, you've got to secure your place in the future of this kingdom. I don't, I don't have sympathy for Regal, but I can, like, I can get it a little bit. Now, I, obviously, I don't get the bloodthirstiness, that's entirely his own dealio. He chose to be a bloodthirsty asshole, but yeah. I can get the paranoia. Um, my last note in this chapter is basically just like Ronica's whole speech to Cirilla about uh, trauma and growing from it, where she's like, as the challenge companion, to take what has happened to you and learn from it instead of being trapped by it. Nothing is quite so destructive as pity, especially self-pity. No event in life is so terrible that one cannot rise above it. This terrible event, whatever it was, is over and done. Do it and let it shape you and you're doomed to live it forever. You're granting it power over you. Set it aside and shape your future as you wish it to be in spite of what happened to you. Then you have seized control of it. And it's like, that's it. That's the series. That's the theme. Thanks for watching. Mm -hmm. Like, all that applies, like, beat for beat to Fitz as well. Yeah. I think that it is a little bit frustrating that Ronica says that because she really doesn't know all that Cirilla went through. And I feel like Cirilla is too much, like, she's still too close to her trauma and like everything that happened on the ship to be able to move past it right now like she's probably like she's like a month out from all of that at the most so like i feel like ronica's advice is great in the long haul like after you've been able to process and be like yes like this horrible thing happened to me but i'm not gonna let it like ruin my life any longer but i feel like sorilla hasn't even gotten to the point where she's allowing herself to admit that this horrible thing happened to her she is still in like the denial stage so she can't move past her trauma and like like she can't be like yes this happened but i'm gonna be a stronger person because of it she's like no nothing happened i'm fine like i have to just gather some protection around me but like i'm fine deep down like i'm okay yeah, i agree dumb veronica like maybe not dumb but like it's the classic Ronica thing of, like, not quite knowing when or what to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a little tone deaf. Well, it's... I think that she doesn't know the extent of what happened. Like, I don't think anybody, like, Cirilla hasn't let anybody know what happened to her. So no. I feel like Ronica thinks that what happened is in the far past. And that's why she's, like thinks that it's okay to tell her this, or she doesn't think it was, like, to the extent that it happened. And it was, right. But no, Ronica says something about, like, really someone about had, like, Ronica, like, identifies it as, like, someone had broken this woman thoroughly and completely or something. So I think that, like, yeah. I don't know. I think, I, I agree with, like, the time comment. It could be that she thinks that it's long ago or longer ago than it was. But I think, I feel like Ronica's, like, if not the exact, like, act, gets the vibe of what happened. Yeah, she definitely should have or could have said it nicer and in a more, like, sympathizing way than just, like, the very Bingtown traitor way of, like, ah, shit happens, like, let's move on. Right. But I think that that's, like, how Ronica approaches her whole life because, like, even after Efren dies, she's like, we still have to maintain 
like all of this stuff. Like we have to do all of our life. We can't just like quit living because like my husband and like my reason for living has died. Right. Mm-hmm. She just keeps on keeping on. She really does. It's definitely the thing with all of like the Vestrid women is that they're really stubborn, but that part of that is also they have like the power to be super resilient and like have a good yeah. sense of themselves. Yeah. I guess that, that is just gonna be my last note for the chapter. Just like I love, I feel like it's really hard to like write families in a way where like you can see the through lines, but they're still clearly their own people. And I think that Monica or not not Ron Rago, what, what am I saying? Uh, Robin Hobb succeeds with that in the series on like multiple levels with like Fitz's complicated like the whole Farseer line family tree, and here mm-hmm. with the Vestrits and all. Even with, like, some of the minor character families, like you see with Brashen's family, yeah. I agree. And they feel like a family. Like, when Althea and Ronica are fighting and stuff, Ronica, like, still thinks in her mind, she's like, yeah, like, I would take Althea back in a heartbeat if she came back to the house. Like, there's nothing that would, like, make me send her away because she's my daughter. And, like, that's a very family way of thinking, I think. Even if it's, like, a found family. It doesn't have to be, like, blood family. Right. But, like, that just feels very family-esque. Okay. Do we have any other notes for this chapter? I do not. Let's move on to chapter seven, Dragon Ship. Bolt's here. That's the chapter. <laughs> Thank you, Angonite. <laughs> That's our show. Um, yeah, so Wintro and Bolt basically have got, like a Wintro's like, no, you can't show yourself because that would kill Vivation. Bolt's like, I don't give a shit. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. like uh, it's cool that cool that you love your life ship, but uh, she's fake, and I'm not. And I'll and also even if she was real, I would care more about myself. So uh, fuck your life ship. Yeah. I know that Bolt is scary and bad, but, like, she's got points. <laughs> she makes points. She is She is the product of, effectively, a genocide of her entire race. And she's been, like, she's been a slave for her yep. entire lifetime. So, like... I also would be slack. very angry and mean and terrible if that happened to me, so... I can't blame her at all. Especially because the people that she now is, like, serving are the reason that she's like this in the first place. Like, yep, she's got it bad. It's not like she can run away from the people who did this to her. She's, like, reliant on them. Right. Also, the scene of Vivacia, like, dying is scary like i'm sure that was terrifying on my first read when she like became all gray and stuff like holy shit yeah they really make us feel for what is effectively like it's it's because like i feel like with 
people dying, there's so many ways to make it, like, grotesque or scary, but, like, they really make us feel for a piece of wood. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. My only note for this chapter was, uh-oh, Bolt is here. But then when I was thinking back about it, um, I like that she comes through from a story that Kenneth's telling. Like, Kenneth just starts telling this random story that, like, his mom told him when he was little. Um, and it turns out to be, like, a real story from way back in the Elderling days. And it shows like, how old Bolt is and how far back her knowledge goes, but also shows, like, how much of a bitch she is. Because yeah. she's just, like, so mean to him when he gets one detail wrong. She's like, that's not her name. You're a fucking moron. <laughs> and, yeah. Like, but also it's interesting that she even knows that person because that was either a person or an elderling, but, like, they look so far down on everybody that's not dragons a lot of the time that it's like oh you actually remember that like mortal well enough to correct somebody on their name well i think that people were so different when dragons were thriving like at the peak of dragon world mm -hmm. they like acted so differently towards the dragons like the people were different so like the dragons like I think they viewed him as like little pets and they're like, oh, you're like cute and you like are nice and you give me gifts. So like, I'll keep you. And I mm -hmm. think that that's kind of the way they viewed humans. And then with elderlings, I think it was a little bit more of like a partnership from the way that like Tintaglia thinks about it. Sometimes it feels like they weren't full equals, but the elderlings were closer to like, the level of dragons than humans were. Right. It also kind of sounds like both humans and dragons needed, or, like, I guess humans slash elderlings and dragons needed each other to keep each other's egos in check sort of thing. Yeah. Where it's, like, with humans, it's, like, just there's these big intelligent creatures who can and will both, like, beat you in, like, intelligence and also can just eat you. Um for dragons it's sort of like it doesn't matter that we're smaller than you we, we us humans slash elderings can still do things that you can never dream of or mm -hmm. can like keep yeah. up with you in terms of creativity and intelligence so well and they have little hands so like when stuff gets lodged in the scales of the dragons like they need people to get it yep. up like you literally need us that happens a lot in uh rain wilds I think it only happens so much for them because they're walking. They to walk, yeah. Like, I think that if they were flying, it would happen just occasionally. Like, when Tintaglia gets struck by that arrow, like, that was the first time that anything like that happened to her. Right. In, like, her wing, and she, like, needed help getting it out and stuff like that. It was her, right? Yeah. Yeah, she, she, she's the That's one who gets shot, and she gets, like, poisoned? And she's like, oh, yeah, it's like she's infected. borderline dying. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right, because they have to, like, to Kelsingra. Yeah. Oh, like, she, she flies to Kelsingra and then, like, elderlings have to come. So something, there's something where they have to help. Um, I'm going to say. 
I also think it happens because, like, in the Rainwalds, they're, like, the dragons are still growing up, so they probably, like... Don't they, like... Do they, like, shed their scales or something as they mature? I don't know. I might have got that from somewhere else, but... Sounds like a dragon remember. thing to do. I don't remember that, but also there's a lot of details I don't remember, so it could be. <laughs> I was thinking about this because we learn a lot about how like the cocoons are made and how the dragons form and stuff like that in this section either in this chapter from bolt or in i think the next one from tintaglia like i think we get a little snippets of both and it seems like it's a mixture of like the memory stone is ground into sand and it's the sand from those beaches mixed with the like saliva of the dragons who are helping to like make the cocoon for the serpents that make all the memories yeah and i was yeah. going somewhere with this but now i don't remember where it was <laughs> well it makes it sense had it had a point but it's fizzled <laughs> <laughs> i'll get it back eventually Oh, 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 I remember now, I remember now. <laughs> I think that the reason, I think maybe part of the reason why the serpents and the dragons that came from everything in the Rainwilds are so, like, little and, like, malnourished and stuff like that is because the beach that they usually would have cocooned on that has the memory sand isn't the one that they went on in addition to only having Tintaglia to help them all weave their cocoons. Like, I think it was a mix of her being the only dragon and them not having, like, the memory sand that really screwed them up. In addition to, like, it was poor timing and they were super late to cocoon and all that stuff. Do you think that they get, like, there's like some memory sand because they still have like wizard wood style cocoons, but I think it's probably like diluted or something. Yeah. It's been like centuries and like we I were told that like the, the entire Rainwilds place has been like crazy terraformed or whatever. I think the timing thing ends up having like the heaviest effect because a lot of them aren't like fully cooked. Forming. Yeah. yeah. Half cooked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're still raw in the middle. <laughs> they need a little thermometer. <laughs> Just like imagining one of those like you'd see in doctor's offices with like the person with a thermometer in their mouth and like a hot pack on their head, but it's a dinosaur or but it's a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was thinking more meat thermometer, but that works too. <laughs> Instead of, like, pork and beef and all that stuff, you have, like, dragon on your meat thermometer as well to see if it's finished. <laughs> it's really interesting that we get lots of this chapter from Etta's point of view, because I think that, like, 
having some distance from Wintrow and Kenneth's reactions to it as the people who are closest to Vivacia is, I think, a neat way to like get give us like sort of a holistic perspective on what's going on rather than having us be in Kenneth's or Wintrow's head and having them go, oh fuck, oh shit, oh fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it shows how extreme the change is because Etta hasn't been paying that much attention to Vivacia. Because they have this weird, like, rivalry going on for Kennet. So if it's so much of a change that, like, it's very obvious to Etta, then we realize, like, that shit's really bad. Whereas if we were in Wintro's head, like, it'd be op- more obvious. Mm-hmm. I also love how, like, she's, like, so perceptive perceptive with regards to Kenneth. More so than, I think, literally anyone else in the series, and I love it. She's, like, yep. pissed off about Vivacia dying. He's, like, th- his anger is too great. There's something else here, something even deeper and more painful than Vivacia's loss. Um, and we sort of, like, get a hint of what's what that is later on, where, like, uh, Kenneth is, like, this is not the first life ship I've ever known. They do not die so easily. Like, mm-hmm. I, wonder what, I wonder what that's all about. Well, I feel like both Kennet and Paragon are making, like, semi but not very subtle, like, comments about each other. Because in the very first chapter of this section, Paragon says, Kennet, he said in a low and fateful voice, we go to face down the pirate and take from him all that is rightfully ours. And, like... Althea just thinks that he's talking about Vivacia and he's, like, jumped on board with this and feels so passionate about it. But, like, he's trying to take back, like, I don't know, his sense of self from Kenneth. Because I feel like Kenneth poured so much of himself into Paragon that Paragon can't separate that. And he needs to, like, I was thinking he needs to give that back in order to gain his individuality. And also, he like he loves Kenneth and no, he loves Kenneth, right? And I think that Paragon mm-hmm. just has like such a such a awful relationship with the idea of love. And I think he's sort of like I don't even think Paragon knows what he wanted to do when he when he got Kenneth. He just knows that he wants to be close to him again. Yeah, yeah. There's like the like in the last chapter when like the the guy they captured is like, yeah, Kenneth's in love with Vivacia now. By the way. And Paragon freaks the fuck out. He's like, Kenneth would yeah. never. Yep. Yeah. I feel so bad for Paragon then because you know that he's upset because, like, that should have been him. And he couldn't, like, be what Kenneth needed him to be. So he got, like, thrown out and replaced. rough for lots of people in this series but like paragon has it i think for for doing a top three i think paragon would be in there somewhere he's got it i feel like paragon would be top one because he got like mutilated he got so many people died on his ship and then he got like isolated he got put into like solitary confinement for years and years and years went crazy and then was forced to go back to sea to confront the guy who did all that stuff to him in the first place. 
And yeah. he has all of baby Kenneth's like trauma memories. And two dragons warring inside himself. Like <laughs> yeah. also, like hundreds of like random pirates who died on him. Because we see at the end, right? He's like talking about how there's all these little pieces warring within him. Yeah. Yep. That reminded me of um spoiler alert to anyone who hasn't watched Full Meta Alchemist Brotherhood, but it reminded me of the Philosopher's Stones in that story. When Kenneth was talking yes. about like all the different things like inside him and all the different people and personalities and stuff. Wizardwood is basically a Philosopher's Stone. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I guess also on that same note or similar note, uh, the line where Wintrow sort of like grappling with what Vyvesha is, and he's saying that I doubt she was ever truly alive in the sense that you and I are. And one, I thought that was kind of interesting because I feel like this sort of like what a what is a life or what is sapience is sort of like theme that is usually covered in science fiction and it's interesting to see it like in a fantasy context Mm -hmm. and the second is i disagree with wintrow obviously i think that like vivacia can be her own person despite what her origins were because she like synthesized and processed and like had all these things that weren't just like weren't just like what you call it like regurgitating stuff from her past lives it was like a it was a synthesis so yeah 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 She's making her own thoughts and drawing her own conclusions. It's not just quoting stuff that she has had in, like, put inside her. Mm-hmm. And she has yeah, her own personality. Like, like, she's got traits similar to Vestrits, but, like, she doesn't always make the same them. decisions that Althea would make. Yeah. Or, you know, she's unique. She's not the same as, like, Efren just because he went in her. She's not, like, right. him. I think it's just sort of, like, Bolt-induced despair. Because Bolt sort of, like... Oh, definitely. The yeah. idea of what she is and, like, bring it up to 100 for her own purposes. Yep. Did we talk about in the past, like, the reason that live ships need like three generations of humans to like quicken i don't think so i don't remember if we did because i feel like we might have but it's been so long so i'm just gonna say it again if we have but if we haven't then this is gonna be new information for you guys yeah i was thinking we never ever talk about things that we've already talked about on this podcast never (laughs) no it's always brand new content never rehashing i was thinking as i was reading that the live ships need three generations of humans at least or like three people to quicken because that is like the lowest amount of like memory and experiences and like physical flesh that a dragon would have had inside of the cocoon so like the three people combined make up for what was lost when the dragon's body was cut out of the like wizard wood cocoon 
That's what I was thinking. Yeah, it makes sense. Could be. I don't think we ever get like a firm explanation for why yeah. it's three. I think Robin Hobb just likes threes because she said that like everything feels good. That's why she makes so many trilogies because like three is just a magic number. She even made three trilogies for Fitz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I have a question, which I'm not... This is more like I don't know the answer to it, but, like, why didn't Bolt come out as soon as Vivacia died? Like, what, what, what is she taking her sweet time about that she only comes... that she only shows up later on in the chapter? Maybe she's just trying to figure out how to take control of the figurehead. Like, maybe she doesn't understand how to animate it. Didn't also... Like, I thought that when Vivacia comes back... She talks about how she, like, regretted going so deep and that, like, Bolt kept her down. So, like, I was thinking it was, like, kind of a power struggle that she, like, Bolt had to suppress Vivacia in order to come out. And it took a little bit of time because I feel like both of them are powerful beings at that point. Like, Vivacia has quickened and she's, like, becoming her own person and she's got all of these generations of people in her mm-hmm. compared to like Bolt, who's a dragon, but like they kind of are like equal matches. And then Bolt just kind of wins out. That makes so, sense to me. I guess it's sort of like Vivacia wanted to like die slash not exist anymore, but that doesn't mean that she wanted Bolt to take her place. So she probably would have. Yeah. Right. That, that makes sense. Put up a fight. My last sort of stuff for this chapter is the charm is still being cryptic as shit and I don't get it. Um, the charm is like, trust me, have I ever steered you wrong? And it's talking about like some shit about the dragon. It's like, does the dra- do you conceal the dragon or does the dragon conceal you? And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Like, give me a straight answer for once. We're, we're in the yeah. final book of the trilogy and I still don't get what your point is. Same. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I, I feel dumb because I'm reading this for the second time, and I feel like I should. This should be the time where I'm like, oh, I'm putting together the pieces, but like, I, I simply am not. Yeah, the charm is something that I think is just going to be confusing to us, at least on this read. Maybe we'll like gain some new wisdom on the next read, but if we don't gain don't wisdom in this read, I'm posting it on the subreddit and seeing if anyone has any wisdom about it because I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. Surely. We have no idea. Right. Yeah, do we have any other thoughts? Not for this chapter, no. Okay. So, moving on to chapter 8, Lord of the Lords of the Three Realms. And uh, this is, uh, we got two points of view here. We have Tintaglia, who is sort of like 
trying to see if any of her other kin have survived. Um, going back to various elderling cities. And then we have Malta, who, having been swept downriver of a tree hog, is sort of like, well, I think we're going to die, gang. But then they get picked up by a Chalcedian ship, and Malta is like, well, i not out of the woods yet, but we're slightly safer, and I have to figure out a new mode of surviving on this very treacherous space. Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting that most chapters, like, are those two together. Like, it's it's Tintaglia. It's like a chapter with Tintaglia and Malta together. Because I think that happened a lot either in the last book or in the beginning of this book where it was those two points of view together in the one chapter and then it was like other chapters with other people and i like that they're like being lumped together still it's what like when taglio was trying to like get malta to free her she's like we're both queens Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just yep but there are like lots of parallels, but where like Malta is like incredibly like thirsty, Tintaglia is super hungry. Um, there's a part where like Tintaglia is like longing to like drink the silver or something, and Malta is like super thirsty. So there's, a, there's like a, a true line of both of their like desperations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chef. Speaking of drinking the water, this just like the whole description of it sounds really miserable and like. Honestly, if I were on that boat and there was basically no hope for escaping, I'd probably just drink the water too. So I don't blame Coochie for doing it. (laughs) I just think she's stupid and I wish that she would have lived instead of the Satrap. But like, I get that they kind of need him to survive when they're on the Chalcedian ships. But would have been nice. At least him bathing in the water is like a little bit of petty revenge. Oh, he's so gross. Like, when he's trying to say that everything that happened was Malta's fault for not, like, sleeping with him at the ball. Like, the the logic was so convoluted and ridiculous. And it's, so it's disgusting. like, yeah, you think that, like, someone denying you is, could, could be a catalyst to all of this bad stuff. Like, that's just, ugh. He's so gross. Well, Malta and there's being no like, I hope you die ever. first so I can watch. Like, yep. God. Which, yeah, yeah. I wish. I think that, like, Malta has, like, had a long history with being, uh, with, like, cutting with words, so I'm really glad that she's getting to use it. In a, use it on a subject who I do not mind being taken down a peg or yeah, two. Where we very much approve of her using it. But it, what's annoying is that it doesn't take him down a peg or two. Like, yeah. it doesn't work. It's mm. so frustrating. Because I, like, I remember when I, on my first read, I was like, yes, Malta's gonna, like, whip this bitch into shape with her sassiness. And it just, like, goes over his head completely. He's yeah. too obtuse. <laughs> like, ugh. Actually. I hate him so much. He's the fucking worst. At least, at least was... every other person we know that they die. They trap is just yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I not looking forward to reading about Hest, but we whenever I feel 
angry at Hest, I know that I can think about, okay, he gets eaten by a dragon. And he, oh god, I love, I just, I can't wait for that. It is very satisfying. I think that we could just insert the saw trap in that situation as well, and just imagine that he got eaten by them too. Because I feel like, honestly, the satrap would go to Kelsingra in the future and be like, I own this, I own all the dragons, like, you're my property, and he would get eaten. So, like, that's not something that's far-fetched. Or even later, like, if he didn't make it up the river, he would definitely, like, send ships to Charlton and be like, you have been buddies for so long. Uh, I I guess you have new management, but but I'm still better than you, so, like, let's work together. Like the new, like, yeah. like the new, like, management would not take kindly to that. Mm-mm. No, and Selden's part of that, so he'd be like, "Yeah, fuck that." <laughs> yeah. I know Charlton is the priority I- because it's way worse than Jamila, which is crazy. But like, afterwards, like you've sacked one city, the dragons go to another city and take it over as a treat. Yeah. Going back to Kelsingra, I completely forgot that Tintaglia had a little temper tantrum and is the reason that the well is broken when the Rainwilders come to it. I, like, completely forgot about that. What does she do? She breaks, so she, like, goes to the well to try and drink the silver and can only see, like, a little speck. And she's like, I don't even know if that's, like, actually silver or if it's just, like, the stars reflected in this, like, well and she gets pissed and she like breaks part of it off and shoves it into the well and she's like done with it she's like fine i can't drink it no one can and then in rainwilders they have to like go and fix it and i think like people have to go down in there with like harnesses and stuff to pull it out because of Taglia. I just, I completely missed that Tintaglia had that temper tantrum. That's so funny. She, like, she almost <laughs> causes the dragons to, she almost causes the destruction of her own species later on. As it just... Because of a temper tantrum she had. <laughs> that's such a human slash dragon thing. For sure. I thought it was so funny. I'm like, wow. Alright, Tintaglia. It's funny because I felt really sympathetic towards Tintaglia in this chapter. She's like... Yeah. Sweetest vengeance could have been, it could not save those of her kind who might have still who might still have survived. Her first duty was to them. And she has like like the dragons, especially the ones we see in Rainwilds, are kind of selfish dicks. And it's interesting that like we see with Tintaglia like she has priorities. She has like care for her for people for she has care for people. She's still arrogant. She's I don't think dragons can even help that. But like Yeah. She's a lot more like reasonable than lots of the dragons we see in the series Um, i think that's because like she's like an actual dragon i feel like she's like a level one dragon and the other ones are kind of like like a lower tier because like i just don't see them as real dragons i feel like the next generation of dragons will be real dragons but these ones are like kind of fake just because they're like (laughs) They're just, like, not real dragons in my mind. <laughs> I just don't view... They're not on the same level as Tintaglia. They're, like, fake and she's, like, real. <laughs> he actually has, like, real memories and she 
had everything happen at the right time for her. So, like... Right time. And she, she, was, like, she was several centuries was too late. Perfect. She was overcooked. She was overcooked. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why she's, like, actually a good dragon. I, I think the others are dragons, too. But I think that, like, yeah, they... I just yeah. think their personalities, all of them are so stuck up for no reason. And, like, Tintaglia, who should be the most stuck up, like, can actually be reasoned with, unlike the other ones. Um, Mercor also is... Like, they don't have the sense of perspective yeah. that Tintaglia does, right? Like, Tintaglia is very aware of the state of one of the last of her species, and it's something that, like, the other dragons, like, think about. But Tintaglia, like, everything that Tintaglia does is, like, motivated by that. The other dragons right. are just yeah. sort of, like, I'm cold. Skin, my skin itches. Are we there yet? Like they're they're literal kids. Meanwhile, Tintagla has been like maturing yeah. in that cocoon for several hundred years. Yeah, I guess that's true. Maybe they'll become real dragons when they get older. They'll grow up. Yeah. I don't know if Centaur will ever grow up, but the rest maybe. There's hope. <laughs> She's the worst. She's so freaking annoying. She is really annoying. I don't think there's anything redeeming about her. And like, shouldn't there be? <laughs> <laughs> just, just the earnestness of like, shouldn't there be? Has to be, right? <laughs> like, I, like she's. We see stuff from her point of view. I feel like she should be a better person than that, a better dragon than that. Mm-hmm. And she's not. And it's disappointing. Oh, not nice. maybe, maybe we'll warm up to her on, on a reread. We'll see. She's like you never know. She's, like, lightheartedly not nice, though, whereas, like, a lot of the other, like, actual villains in the story are just, like, hateful not nice. Like, Centaur's at least not hateful not nice. She's, she's, I feel petty, like and, and she's petty and irritated at times. Like, she, she hates, well, what's her, what's yeah. her carer's name? I forget. Um, Wing Lady. It starts with a <laughs> Clawfoot. Amara. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Thymara. Yeah. When you said it starts with T, I remembered. Um, yep. Yeah, she's 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 kind of addicted to Thymara, but I think she's all right to everyone else. <sighs> That's because no one else has to work so closely with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I always felt bad for Thymara. She's like, "Why is my dragon so mean to me?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she she really pulled the short stick. And sprouts fucking wings because her dragon's like, "Yeah, I want you to look exactly like me, so I'm gonna make you a real dragon." Yep. And then gets pissed when she actually uses them to fly. Like, what? She's like, wait, hold on. I was supposed to That's fly. just for decoration. Those aren't for real use. <laughs> just for decoration. Like, you can't tell me how to use my wings. This is the first time that we've, I think, talked mostly about Rainwilds and not one of the Fitz books going off track. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We're really growing and evolving like Ronica, except better than Ronica. We're all better than Ronica. Yeah. Yes. I think talking about Kelsingra and all of like the Elderwing settings is such like a Rain Wilds thing, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Speaking of you really feel for Tintaglia when she's talking about like the Elderling cities and stuff because she's like the road still re- recalled itself as a highway but no one else in the world did um 
I think, okay, first of all, that line goes hard. And second of all, it's like the idea of like forcing an object to retain its identity is like such a, it's like, it feels like a, a concept that's like so like one step shifted from from normal that is like you can almost get it in that way mm -hmm. and you don't need further explanation um it's like i wonder if you could like make memory stone into beings on its own like live ships like not even if you carve a dragon could you like first like hey bridge you're now named bridge and like right. with sufficient like magic skill and blood or whatever can you just make make a bridge into bridge a bridge with a capital b i, I wonder if that's probably what they did like they would carve it but they would also like it's like when um they're carving the dragon like fitz talks about how verity like carves a little bit and then like runs his hand over it and then it like turns into better scales Mm -hmm. Yeah, but he like he like puts like, his memories into it and sort of like his personality. I'm wondering if like independent of that, could you make an an object that like has its own personality in the way that live ships do? I guess if you combine a sufficient enough of number of people, maybe I guess that's what I was thinking. After a while, because of how much like of little bits of like slices of life, the memory stone kind of absorbs just from the people walking on the street and stuff like that mm -hmm. if you could change it a little bit when carving it and be like take this and like have it be part of you then you could maybe make a being but i think that it would take a lot of time if you're not putting yourself into it i think you have to put yourself into it so you like, have to like be you, a sacrifice yeah, if you try not to, you end up like girl on a dragon. But or how like, did the elderlings? So the elderlings can do the memory stone because they're just making it a road, and they're not saying like mm -hmm. you are capital R road. Because the um, was it Per Tintaglia? I think remembers this like that the elderlings when they knew they were gonna die would go, like, carve a dragon and then, like, die into it. The dragons, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that's, they like, They had a, to, like, give themselves... That was, like, the elderling way of saying, like, go fuck yourself up. Oh, go carve a dragon. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah, that could be. Um, yeah, I guess my last note is just, like, another Tintaglia line, where it's, like, the elderling cities would ultimately be swallowed by the wide world, and then no one would remember a time when man and dragon had dwelt together. Surprised Tintaglia that such a thought could cut her heart. She cares! She cares about humans yeah. and history and all of that. That's what makes Tintaglia yeah, compelling. Yeah, she's the an asshole, a whole, like, but she race cares. on their own that got wiped out because of this. No wonder she's kind of sad about it. Because she's on her way next. Like, it's the elderlings first, and then the dragons are heading the out too. Third. Yeah. Something I was thinking about with, like, Treehog is, like, I wonder if instead of it being, like, people's 
people being around all of the elderling material and like the city of like Frengong, the elderling city that's like by Treehog, and that is what causes their like growths and stuff. I was thinking it's probably actually like them living so close to dragons and like dragon cocoons without the dragons forming them intentionally that causes all of these growths and stuff and that maybe because Tintaglia was the last dragon and the last cocoon and now that she's gone like maybe people will stop having such severe growths as they age living in the rain wilds makes a lot of sense and that's yeah that's i don't think that's something that's addressed in the books because no one ever thinks of it but that makes a lot of sense yeah and i think also the reason that rain has the least amount of growths and deformities and stuff like that is because he has spent so much time literally like conversing with tintaglia and being around her and she like unintentionally or just her presence and like their connection shaped the way that he was changing sure Okay, do we have any other notes for the chapter? Mm, I don't think so. Okie dokie. So <laughs> the last chapter of this section is chapter 9, Battle. Oh. I have to go. So. Okay, sure. um, we can leave this the next one. Yeah. Okay. So that actually, that was the chapter eight was the last chapter for the section. We'll get to chapter nine <laughs> battle uh, next time. Thanks everyone for watching, and see you all next time. Bye. Do we want to read to 